Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Podcast. Podcast. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans podcast. My name is Ron Silico, and I have the great pleasure today of interviewing John Joseph. And you may not be familiar with Mr. Joseph, but if you are a basketball coach, player, or avid fan, I have a suspicion that you are familiar with his invention called the shootaway, which has helped thousands and thousands of basketball players improve their ability to make shots on the basketball floor. John, thank you for joining us today. You bet. Well, thank you for having me, Ron. Okay. Well, I know throughout the interview we're going to be talking about how you developed the shoot-away product, and I know you've gone through a couple different cycles and advancements to the product. But first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you could, from your by your childhood and, and your family. Well, you bet, Ron. I, I grew up in on a... Uh kind of a farm basis, a farm background with uh, grandfather and uh, dad, and uh, and I just love basketball, and uh, uh, but uh, we had a great family, and uh, and uh, hard work uh, was kind of the main story, everything we did, but it had fun, usually involved work around it, um, so I had, had a great childhood. Okay, and how many of there, how many were in your family? I've got two sisters, and I was in the middle there, and uh, my uh, father was uh, actually a superintendent of schools, and, and then we had a farm on the side, so uh, we did a lot of weekend work and night work. Okay. And where did you grow up, John? We grew up at, uh, at Oak Harbor High School, uh, up on, on Lake Erie there. Okay, great, great. So, you know, it, it, we'll talk a little bit about how you got the idea for your invention, I know, it was pretty early in your life. Uh, growing up, who were the people that you looked up to and who inspired you? Mm-hmm. I, I tell you what, my best uh, inspiration was, uh, I guess, when I was a freshman in, in, uh, in, in high school, was my uh, teacher, uh, Larry Heinz is his name. He was a vocational agricultural teacher, and and uh, my dad had taught me how to weld. I think uh, welding was... Uh, unusual, I guess, for a sixth grader to weld, but uh, he taught me how to weld, and, and I was making things uh, from a very early age, uh, just always making things, all, all types, uh, two-story, three-story tree houses to when I was in fourth grade, I think, but but my my VOAD teacher uh, made me to enter a contest, a Lincoln welding contest where you had to draw and uh, draw plans and It's been my experience, John, that you have those inspirational figures, and if you have the opportunity to go back and thank them, it's certainly gratifying for you. But for, for the for the people that did inspire you to get that thanks, I'm, I'm sure he was really appreciative of that. Absolutely. 
Now, according to the website, the shootaway.com website, you got the inspiration for your product when you were at Ashland College's basketball camp. Can you give a little background on that? Oh, you bet. That's a great time of my life. Uh, I think I was in the eighth grade. Uh, the uh, head coach there at uh, Ashland was a man named Joe Godfrey, who is, uh, his son is Mark Godfrey, who's uh, currently a coach here in North Carolina State. Sure. Uh, but uh, Joe invited us uh, to uh, one of the first basketball camps at Ashland, and he showed a video there that uh, showed uh, Duke University back in the 50s using uh, nets kind of like in a carnival. Uh, and, and they made it one statement, Ron, and that was that they increased their shooting percentage 10% by using this contraption. So actually that night, uh, Joe came in there to kind of tuck me in or take care of me because uh, he was friends with my dad. My dad had actually hired him. Uh, out of college to, to coach a little high school but, and uh, Joe uh, I told Joe I said you know that thing we saw on the video there I said uh, oh, I'm going to I'm going to make one of those things and you know I, I'm sure he just said whatever whatever and uh, and uh, he uh, you know went on but the funny thing is I'm going to meet with Joe here next week week, uh, week Friday here um, and, and he's one that I, I continually think athletic director at the UAB and different successful things but uh, so I, I went home and I was at my grandpa's farm up in Seneca County and and uh, I just welded up some pipes and, and some hog fence and made a scaffolding kind of a thing with a wooden track and uh, I, I put that in our uh, housing development then at, at uh, Oak Harbor painted it orange so it was a big orange monstrosity but uh, I would just shoot all day long, and, and I knew it worked. And um, people would drive by and see this crazy thing in a driveway just about getting wrecks. But uh, <laughs> that, that, that's how the whole thing got started. Okay. Okay. And then, so before we go into developing that product, in addition to basketball, what other sports did you play growing up? Well, actually, football was my uh, was my. Uh, I think you answered this question already, but I'll, I'll ask it again to see if there's additional information. It, it sounds like your childhood, you were encouraged to build things, have imagination. What, uh, how, what kind of, how often were you thinking of ideas and, and, and coming up with, with new ways to do things? Uh, 
anything and uh, uh, that kind of a God-given gift I guess uh, but uh, yeah it's, uh, that was uh, that was my passion and, and even today that's my passion if I, if I don't have something going right at, at, at any given moment where I'm actually making something or trying to do something it's, 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 life gets a little boring <laughs> so and then so following up, on, again, this was on, according to your website, you went to college, and, and that's where you went from the orange monstrosity in the driveway to taking the idea further. Can you talk about that process? Yeah, I, uh, I was uh, going to school to be a black teacher, and uh, uh, I wanted to be an engineer. I, I, I flunked algebra twice, I believe, so I, I couldn't be an engineer, so... Uh, uh, we got a minor in, in ag mechanics, and, and uh, I believe I was married. I was married to, uh, while I was still in school, and and uh, remember that I called my coach up and I said, "Remember that thing in the driveway?" I said, "What if I could uh, figure out a way to make that fold up and fit in the closet? Would you want to buy one?" And uh, he thought he thought it'd be a great idea. So I I even knew then, Ron, that I did not want to travel the, the same road as everybody else. Uh, where you get a job and you just go and do it. I knew that I wanted to make something, and, uh, uh, and before that I was making wood splitters. That was back in the 70s. Uh, I, I bet I made about 30 wood splitters uh, in high school and would sell them, and, and so I, I knew how to make stuff and, 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 and make some money off of one product. So I, I built this thing, and, and I took every dime we had in it, uh, plus some, uh, any money and all the money we had, it went into debt a little bit, uh, um, and told my wife not to worry, because uh, we were going to be rich, and uh, so I ended up with this machine and, and took it to the coaches, I thought everybody would line up to buy it, and they did nothing but laugh at me. Um, I went to Ohio State three different times uh, to meet with the head coach, and so if you can imagine, I got a Camaro with a hand, handmade trailer with this contraption in the back of it. And, and um, usually what I was met with is get this piece of junk out of here. Um, but uh, I told my wife all I had to do was sell one. If I could sell one, I'd sell a thousand. Uh, I knew that. And uh, I just had to find out one. But uh, I tell you, the, the years went by, and, and, and it got to be funny uh, uh, my friend and I, uh, I had a, a, a positive thinking friend named Jim Pelucci, and he was by my side, you know, just not wanting to give up. And I, uh, the number one thing that inspired me was uh, we would, that's back when Rocky, the movie came out, and uh, I'll bet you I've watched Rocky a uh, hundred times or more, probably 200 times. Uh, but uh, I just, uh, myself in Rocky's position and every time somebody would tell me no it was like taking a punch and uh, so I was going to take as many punches as it needed to take to, to be able to sell that one machine but uh, I, I didn't still couldn't sell any couldn't get any any response uh, we were so in debt we couldn't afford ketchup uh, found out I had a second daughter coming and and uh, with no income and um, so I had to I just actually took one of those machines that I had in 
there, and, and they actually said they wanted to buy it. So I, I went down there and told him I was going to take the machine away. And he said, John, you're not going to take this machine out of here. I don't care what it costs, but you're not taking it out of here. <laughs> so right there, I said, well, I, I got one, you know. And, and uh, with the, the uh, trouble of it is to build another one, Ron, I, I lived in an old house, and I would have to unplug my wife's dryer down in this old basement with a you know, seven-foot ceiling and plug in my welder, put a fan in the, in the uh, window, and I would weld all night uh, to make one up. And and I went to a, a basketball camp, and, uh, and there was a guy that tapped me on the shoulder and said, I want two of these things. And and uh, and he had a boy that was five and a boy that was 11, and uh, he said, you need to send one to my cousin out in Kansas. Well, well, that guy's name was John Miller, who the boys that he was wanting us for was Archie Miller and, and Sean Miller. Sure. You know, Sean, Sean's at Arizona, and Archie's at, at Xavier, and, and their dad was uh, John Miller. And um, so I made those for John, and then I, I, I made one up, uh, sent it to Kansas, uh, you know, wrapped it in refrigerator boxes with no directions, and shipped that darn thing to Kansas. And, and uh, my wife uh, was more or less a secretary. Uh, back then, he didn't have cell phones. And she, I came home, and she said, there's some guy to Kansas called. And I said, oh, man, he's going to say, get this piece of crap out of here. And, and this guy, this unpaid assistant out there with Larry Brown, uh, he said, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And he said, I, I need two more. And, and that guy's name was John Calipari. So uh, uh, I've known Cal now for... 35 years or whatever, but I knew John when he was not even a favorite coach. And then, uh, so with, with, with Calipari, uh, you know, I, he, he's never paid for anything. He just asked for favors, and he, he said he would do a video for me if I sent him machines, and we swapped some things, and and uh, that's that was my big break, I guess, was, uh, you know, when when I finally had some great coaches that had success with the machine, I knew right then that that was it. I mean, all I had to do was just keep making them, and, and I'd be okay. So you're a, you hear all the time in America about people building things in their garage or basement, and you did that. Yep. So what what was the production time before you went? on a bigger scale how long did it take you to make a machine a long time it took 30 hours or something a weld night I, what I did wrong is I promised my wife we'd never go into debt again because we you know I, I, I went there and it was not a fun place to be so uh, I made sure to keep my promise and uh, so I didn't go out like most people do and buy a bunch of equipment or get a loan or that wasn't going to happen so I just had a hand drill and a hand saw and I think if you look even back on Dun & Brad for a while, they listed, but my only investment was $150 in a Lincoln Arc welder. Uh, that was it. And uh, and I have people stop by all the time with ideas and, and different things and wanting advice how to start. And, and my first advice is don't go into debt. Don't go buying partners uh, for money. Uh, build the darn thing. If you can build it and if you can sell one, just just do that test because sometimes you can't build it. Um, sometimes you can, once you do build it, you can't even sell the darn thing. But if you can build one, sell one, just duplicate that and, and stay out of debt. And and uh, that that was uh, 
I did for a while. I, I, I went to a couple different places to see if they could make them for me, and, and uh, as God would have it, uh, I, both places I did went broke, uh, and I ended up uh, kind of in a disaster situation where I would be making them myself again. And, and um, it was uh, finally I, uh, I finally got a, a building, and I just uh, contracted one guy to build one machine a day, and. Um, hundred dollars to build one so I wouldn't have to put him on payroll or anything else and uh, so that's that's kind of how we started the production of the old shootaways okay and for the listeners who haven't seen th- this device before uh, what could you explain your initial design and specifically I'm fascinated with how did you come up with the net height because it seems very purposeful in terms of developing par- proper arch on your shot yeah, that, uh, what we have is uh, a uh, four-sided net uh, that's up uh, behind the basket and then about 12, 13 foot high around the basket. It forms a, a square, about seven foot square around the basket. And any shots that are made or missed, they just funnel down and then they come, the, old, the original one, they would roll down a, a track that would look like a bowling alley track kind of a thing, the waist high, and uh, you would put six balls on it and you could shoot and shoot and shoot. you could give us a sense of timeline you're located in upper sandusky now is mm-hmm. did you relocate there and is that at the same time when you started scaling your business up yeah i i uh i think we spent three years in, in pennsylvania and uh, i told the people i wanted to be back here in ohio be close to my family and uh, my family farm here we were running and uh, so we picked up our sandusky because it's uh north south east west i was still selling farm equipment at all of ohio so i would travel you know down to where you're at or up to toledo or and upper was right in the middle of the state and uh, so it was about that time that uh, while i had a full-time job um i and here again when people start businesses they usually want to quit their job and <clears throat> and have a loan they have a big business a big building and all this stuff but i i bought this little cheap building um had my regular job uh, at that time I think I had three girls uh, now and uh, and I would just stop 
stop by uh, before work and I would drop off uh, a shipping label to ship one and, and uh, I, then I would come back here in the evenings uh, to make sure everybody was okay and, and really just one or two employees uh, because we weren't making that many um, and like I say we just pay them, pay them per unit so I didn't have to worry about hours or payroll or anything like that. So we were uh, we were here in, in, in Upper and, and had a nice little thing going. Um, it uh, uh, probably two years, three years after that, uh, I guess the best thing that ever happened is when I, I gathered enough money out of savings uh, to uh, place a national ad. And uh, and when you put a little tiny ad in a magazine, uh, today magazines are much and, and are not much to advertise in, but uh, somebody gave me a free little space in the back of a magazine, and, and uh, uh, I, I ran that ad, and I'll be darned if I got co- you know I got calls from all over the country, and, and I knew then that you know that's the way to go, and I would keep track of every person would call in and, and follow up on them, and uh, I called them my golden people because they were gonna you know buy sometime if I kept calling them writing notes or letters and. And uh, so we ran a couple national ads, got some response, and, and uh, the other thing I did was every guy that would buy, uh, because this is such a crazy contraption, and you know there was a, you had to be kind of crazy to buy it. You had to be a, a little different kind of a coach, and most great coaches could care less what other coaches think. And uh, so every customer uh, that would buy one, I was my first question was, I need a lot of help selling these darn things. Uh, uh, and they didn't know what size of business I was. I mean, they, I mean, I, I guess they sounded like I was a big business, but in fact, you know, I was in the basement of my house with my kids. And, and um, an example would be in, in Oklahoma, the first guy to buy a machine in Oklahoma was about 30 years ago. And, and uh, he's still my dealer uh, today. So every customer I had, I would, I was, I would try to have them set up their own little business to sell for themselves, not for me. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like an Amway theory. Um, okay. I, I, my goal was to have a, a guy in every single state selling so that he could make money. So he was motivated by making money, and he would sell the darn things, and thereby, you know, I would be making money also. So that was the, the distribution and, and setting up the sales that way was the, the whole key to the success. If I was you know, trying to do it myself uh, would have went, uh, would never would have went good because a guy in Oklahoma knows everybody in Oklahoma. <clears throat> so uh, that's how we got the marketing set up. And uh, I, I, I have a little chart here on my wall even today. Um, and uh, I'm looking at that chart, and I think in 1984 I sold 23 of these those machines in 1985 I sold 26 in 1986 I sold 70 and 87 I sold 122 and in 1988 I sold 208 of them and uh, about that time I, I had four girls in and, and uh, I sat up all night and prayed and, and uh, sat by the fire and just talking to God like what should I do I, I knew if I quit my job and went full time
that I took that big step of faith, and, and that was the key, and, and I just uh, told everybody I was going to quit my job, and, and, you know, my parents and friends and family and in-laws, everybody said I was nuts and crazy, and, and that John's office rocker, and, uh, <laughs> but I did, and, and uh, I always had a ritual at, at New Year's Eve, uh, I would be in my office, and I would, at that time, I would count up the total sales at the end of the year. And uh, God kind of always has talked to me through numbers, as weird as that may sound. But uh, that following year, in 1989, at New Year's Eve, I was counting up the sales, and, and uh, tears just started rolling down my eyes. Because, uh, uh, Ron, we went from 208 in, in 1988 to 416, which, you know, was right double, right to the number. And what that told me was... I made the right decision, and God was right behind me, and, and everything was going to be okay. And uh, so that was uh, that was quite a point in my in my life and my business that uh, that uh, confirmed everything we were doing. And you know, ever since that day, uh, things have been we we've never looked back. Uh, I'll guarantee that. Now you mentioned that you enlisted partners throughout the country which just sounds like a super idea, and then you, you paid them a commission uh, to mm -hmm. do that. And then I know, I know you've also, over the years, grown your staff in Upper Sandusky. What, what qualities do you look for for people to be part of your team? Well, I, I used to keep a list, and, and I call it eco hunting, but uh, as far as looking for dealers or even coaches, uh, you know, like that model was on my list uh, back when he was a, a little bitty assistant. And, uh, you know, I told you about John Calipari, but one thing I learned is you could tell by all the, the, the little junior assistant coaches at colleges, if you kept track of them guys, you could just, you could just tell a sense about them. They just had a, a, a eagerness, a, a, a ears back, let's go at it kind of an attitude. And, uh, and you know, that's, just, that's what I look for in, in, in coaches because a lot of this is networking. I mean, if you get a good college coach or you know the guy and, 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 and the guy that I took care of when he was assistant coach, when he became a, when Thad became a head coach, he remembered me and, and uh, you know, it, it's no, it wasn't like I was somebody trying to sell him something. It was just he remembers John and, and I helped him out when he was an assistant coach. But, uh, and as far as dealers go to sell out there, we, we've got, I don't know, 40 of them or 50 or uh, who knows how many. Uh, but those people are a different breed. They're, they're, uh, some of those guys are kind of weird. And uh, it, sometimes it takes a weird guy to be a salesman and different methods uh, all different ways. And uh, But uh, obviously, uh, integrity is number one with dealing with anybody. Uh, I'm a Christian man, and I sure would love to work with Christian people. Uh, but uh, And I sure like to... Now, I know you're, if you could speak to this, your shoot-away product today is very different than the one you first rolled out of your basement. Can you talk about the improvements that have been made over the years and, and how those improvements came about? Yeah, well, when I had the shoot-away, I, I, uh, I uh, kept on inventing and then I did a lot of, I've got 12, 13, 14 different patents on things and uh, uh, like I told you earlier, I always like to be creating and doing and, and trying to find out if I could do something. 
home, and I was throwing balls, uh, baseballs, uh, uh, volleyballs, just playing around with different throwers. And I think it was back in 2000, or probably 98, uh, 99, I, uh, I ran across the way of throwing a ball and, and a miniature ball for like a game in your office. Uh, um, and then I got to thinking why maybe I could throw a basketball, and, and man, I saw I put that thing together. and. When I saw that ball come out, I said, holy smokes, I got something here. And, and so I kind of rigged up a throwing device that would go underneath my existing old machines. And and then I uh, totally redesigned this, this net and everything else to go with the throwing machines. But uh, at that time, I, I uh, so, we, so now there was no track, but there was a big price difference. Uh, the, the old machines sold for $1,200 electric one and it was going to be close to $3,500 and three times the money I didn't think we'd sell any uh, so I, I uh, at that time I had a whole dealer network around the country and a new new coaches all over the place and so I just sent a few out uh, just to, to try and um, and that's when all the trouble happened because people just started calling me saying I want what the University of Florida has I want what St. Joe University has and I'd say they're not for sale right now. I don't, I'm not sure they're going to work. I don't care. I saw it. I want it. And so, so we. I just sent out some. I just sent them out to friends, and and we just started getting phone calls. And and uh, uh, I thought we were going to be making lots and lots of money. And I realized what now is called inventory. Uh, I mean, it takes a lot of money to build up all the parts it's going to take in a year, but. Uh, what that meant is we had to raise the price, and, and we then we had to go up to like forty five hundred dollars uh, to, to be able to make a profit, and um, and I think that first year we sold five hundred of those darn things, which uh, is a lot, and and I really said that was enough, and so I raised the price quite a bit more to try to stop sales from happening, and and then sales actually doubled um, to where we were selling a thousand a year, and and. Um, and, and actually, that's the same design that we got today. Uh, pretty much, uh, we've changed a lot of electronics and always changing it to make it a little better here and there. But uh, pretty much the same design as back in '99, uh, where it would catch the ball and throw it out to you, and then move to the next spot. And so that's that's pretty much how we came up with the design. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you could speak to now, this isn't necessarily related to the product specifically, but for our listeners that may be curious about the patent process, how what, what's that like to go through when you invent, invent something and in, in filing a patent? It, it's totally insane, and, and it's totally insane. It's totally corrupt, and um, it's um, it's it's crazy. Uh,
represented it first uh, had had rights, but that that law has now changed, and now it's the first to file a patent has rights. Uh, what that means, Ron, is uh, if you thought of something a year ago and you made a prototype of it and and you're using it, uh, somebody could uh, just go and and file the same thing, uh, and and because they're file date the date they file with the patent office was before you, and if you've never filed, they would they would have the rights to the patent. So that's how it's changed in the last couple of years. So the patent, the whole patent process is uh, is, is I, and I just tell people if, if 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 you can make it and sell it, please try to do that. You've got one year before you can. If you, if you make a product, uh, if I make something right now today and I offer it for sale today, I have 12 months from the day to be offered for sale to get a patent on it. So you can actually test the waters a little bit and see if it's something that somebody would actually buy. And if it is, uh, you know, you, you file a patent application and. And it costs about ten, ten to fifteen thousand dollars to get a patent. Um, it's a good thing to do, I guess, with a product that could actually sell. Um, I've got patents on products that I have let expire because, uh, you know, I, at the time I thought it was kind of a promising thing, and and later on you find out that yes, you can build them, but you, it just would cost too much money to market them, and uh, you know, there's all kinds of people have tunnel vision when it comes to patents. It's, it's kind of like love, uh, you know. You just you all you see is a success. You don't you don't hear or see the uh, the the reasons it could fail. So I would be very cautious with that that process. Okay, and you know, speaking to that, you you it sounds like you you're frustrated with the way the process is carried out. If if you were in charge of the patent process for a day, how how would you structure it so? Inventors have incentive, and it's and the process is done with integrity. Well, that's that's a, that's a tough one. They uh, they have changed the rules. Um, the problem is, is that people can sue each other without having a product that actually works. Which you, you can go back to, you can write, go back to Henry Ford. I mean, Henry Ford spent most of his life uh, fighting patents, uh, people that had patents, and his whole objection was, they don't even have a product. I have a product and I'm selling it and it's mine, and they're saying that they're, you know, one little piece of this little piece that they filed a patent on, but they never even built a darn thing. Um, uh, patent litigation, um, patent litigation, I, I don't know, uh, uh, in, in, as far as world, uh, world uh, nation in the, in the United States, I know litigation uh, fees for the United States of America. If you total them all up together in one given year, it would equal the gross national product of the fourth largest country in the world. That that's a uh, the only people that make money on the patents are litigators that fight you know battles in court uh, and. Any, anybody goes to law school, they'll say, if you really want to make the big dollars, you go into patent litigation, and, and that's when, you know, two companies will fight. And I was actually involved in, in, in a patent lawsuit where somebody actually bought a bogus patent that was dead. Uh, uh, they bought it for next to nothing and, and sued me for $10 million. And I thought that was a joke because, you know, it was obviously I didn't copy anything from anybody. And, 
and I could not get that off my shoulders. That was, it, it, it lasted three years, and I paid lawyers lots and lots of money. But, um, you know, it, it took, uh, so that, that's why I've got a bit of a sour attitude is, uh, you know, that's actually, I've, I've been down that road where you had to, you're just forced into, uh, you're pretty much guilty unless you're proven innocent, uh, which in, in the baton litigation situation. That's a that's a shame because it, it it sounds like it's a process that really de-incentivizes people with creative ideas instead of providing the incentives. Well, another one there, it's called patent trolling. Uh, trolling is, is the, what they call it, and, and, and there's you know, it's it's one of the easiest ways to make money is you go up and you you, you just try to purchase patents for no money at all, and then you send letters out to people that are using it or, or selling it and say you're being sued and pay me a bunch of money or we're going to go to court and to go to court to litigate a patent would cost about four to five million dollars uh, so it's, that's like nuclear war if you go there so you never want to go there and so people, people have figured out that that, that system and, and they're playing it like a fiddle so that, that's a shame for inventors it, it, it definitely hurts inventors hmm. yeah. Something that caught my eye on your website is that you have a strong belief about investing heavily back into the community. Can you speak to what motivates you for that? Oh, Ron, to be honest, I don't know about community. Uh, uh, like I said, I'm a Christian man. Uh, uh, God's pretty much in control of this whole company. I mean, if, if, if you take a look at my company and how blessed I am to be 14 years old and take an idea and and have it be all over the world every gym and every NBA team every college team and and uh, to make that happen I know I was truly blessed so uh, what I try to do is uh, you know you, you can't take the money with you and so I try to I try to put the money to God's work everywhere any, anywhere I can find uh, always looking for that uh, it, it's a big responsibility and I take it pretty darn serious but uh um, I, I go by the to, to whom much is given, much is expected. So uh, we we help people all over the world. Um, actually, tonight here in two hours, I got a meeting with a guy from India that uh, we set up some some different things out in India and Poland. And um, we, my wife and I, set up a resource center here in in, in our little town to help people that. Uh, uh, can't pay their bills. Uh, teach them budgeting. Uh, we got a uh, uh, we've got a uh, food center in, in there. We cook a meal once a week. Uh, we uh, we provide um, tutoring for kids after school. Um, but that's all that I got. And uh, so every day I got my ear ear to him to see what he's trying to tell me to do or where who to give to or what uh, what to do. At this point in my life, that's you know that's. The most important thing I got going is, is, is what to do with uh, what the resources he's given me. Okay. Being from Upper Sandusky, uh, I've seen on YouTube there's a connection with a pretty good shooter from that area named John Diebler. And you have any personal stories you could share about the Diebler family? Yeah, I do. You know, John, John uh, and his dad, I knew his dad uh, as just a coach, uh, having kids, and he bought our, our, our uh, product there called The Gun, and uh, I think uh, John started uh, when he was in the 7th or 8th grade shooting on that gun, and 
Mark. Uh, I do have a little sticker up here on my wall that uh, I know when he was at Ohio State, his dad called back and, and just said, John, you shot a thousand shots in an hour and ten minutes, it says. So I know when John was there, he would, uh, a thousand a day was his goal. And uh, the, the thing of it is, Ron, that uh, without, without our machine, you know, you can't shoot a thousand a, uh, in an hour. Uh, you can't shoot in an hour. through several cycles of your product what what's in general what's next for your company spoken to this a little bit, but I'll, I'll ask the question to see what else you might say. What legacy are you hoping to leave? Legacy? Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um, legacy, as far as I'm concerned, would be uh, my funeral. I told my wife, I don't, you know, don't even mention what I did for a living or what I built or how many inventions I got. I mean, it's what kind of man was I and what did I do with what God gave me and um, and how did I help people. And um, I don't know if you call that a legacy or not, but uh, I know we're all going to die and then 80 years after that, everybody's going to forget you. But uh, I, I truly believe one person can change the world just a little tiny bit. And... Uh, 
guess uh, that's, that's what I was trying to do. I, th- I think you defined legacy exactly with that comment, so thank you. Uh, la- last thing, John, how, if people have not heard about Shoot Away, how could they find out more information? Well, I think if you just go to shootaway.com, uh, that's our website, um, and you can see all the stuff and all the pictures and all the coaches. And, and uh, yeah, if anybody would ever want to get in contact or need something, just, just ask for me. I'm here every day. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that was John Joseph, the owner of the Shootaway Company in Upper Sandusky, Ohio, talking about the gun and how he developed his company. John, thank you for joining us. Ron, thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Wow, was that a great interview with John Joseph, the owner and inventor of ShootAway.com? A couple of the takeaways I had from that episode was just the importance of that inspiration and setting up opportunities for success. John talked about some of the people that mentored him growing up, whether it was his family or his teachers in school, developing and nurturing that creativity process with with youngsters is so important in building belief throughout life. Talked a little bit about the patent process and what are some of the benefits and pitfalls of going through that. Talked about how important it is to network and the way he created unique partnerships with various coaches across the country. I thought that was very noteworthy to hear. The importance of giving back philosophically and by doing that tangibly with his company, he really stressed that. And then just overall creating the legacy of of leaving something behind that, that has helped a lot of people. So, again, one to thank John for being on the show. You could visit his company at shootaway.com. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at ronsilico, R-O-N-S-I-L-I-K-O, at gmail.com, or visit our Facebook site at The Outstanding Ohioans Show. And finally, please take the time to rate the show on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps us keep the show going and helps provide feedback to other listeners and and get the word out about the show. Thank you for listening. Until next time, have a great day, Ohioans, or wherever you are.